This is the Discover Demelza podcast, episode two. You are listening to the Discover Demelza podcast, where you will join with Demelza in learning new things that will benefit your physical, mental, and spiritual health and well-being. Discover Demelza is sponsored by Your Natural Choice, supplier of Moore's Original Ointment. Considered the best under the sun in the Victorian era, this continues to be an effective and soothing all-natural cream that is kind to your skin. Don't miss out on this great product. Get yours today. Also sponsored by Cheeky Monkey Safaris, your ideal choice for an amazing safari adventure in the Serengeti Plains and other spectacular national parks in Tanzania. Book now to take advantage of a holiday of a lifetime. And now, your host, artist, entrepreneur, and Christ follower, Demelza Marie. Hey, thanks for joining me for the second episode of the Discover Demelza podcast. Today, we will be talking about what not to say or do to someone with chronic or invisible illness. I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to start with a warning that this is a much longer podcast than I would normally record, and it has taken me a long time to prepare it. Partly because of my own health struggles being bad the last few months, preventing me being able to accomplish things, but also because I want the content to be useful for those reading the article on my website or listening to it like you're doing now. I'd encourage you to take the time to listen to the whole podcast so that you can gain a better understanding of how to interact with sick loved ones. And be sure to check out the follow-up podcast on things that would be good to say or do to someone with chronic invisible illness, which you may be relieved to find is much shorter than this one. If you are a family member or a friend of someone with an invisible illness, or any chronic illness, You will know how challenging it can be to understand what that person is going through, and you may not know what to say or do. Sometimes it's trial and error, and the reaction of the sufferer may give you a clue as to whether you encouraged them or hurt them. Although, oftentimes the sufferer puts on a brave face and doesn't let others know if they're hurt or frustrated. My guess is that if you love your family member or friend, then you most likely don't want to hurt them. So hopefully the following suggestions will be helpful in navigating these challenging waters. Even if you don't know anyone who is chronically unwell at this time, it's helpful to be aware of these things should you come across someone who, quote, doesn't look sick. Before I begin, though, I want to make it clear that the motives behind some of the quotes mentioned on the don't do list are not always bad. They can just come across badly in some circumstances. Therefore, this article is not intended to judge the motives of anyone who has said or done these things, but to help people understand how it can come across. I also want to stress that most sufferers would rather you say the wrong thing out of compassion than withdraw and leave us even more alone. I think that sufferers who hear these things that discourage them also need to be sure to give the benefit of the doubt to the person who says something that may hurt or offend them, since they may not have any idea how they're coming across, and most people don't have bad motives. Hopefully, this guide will help make things easier for both the sufferer and their family and friends. For this article, I asked people on forums for feedback and also gleaned from other people's statements and questions that were posted. I've not included anyone's name to protect privacy. And also because most of the quotes I'm using are common to many sufferers' experiences, For those who are interested in seeing more quotes or things not to say, you'll find a compilation on the website at the bottom of the article that goes with this podcast. 
In order to lessen the length of the article itself, I won't be mentioning them all here, just some highlights. I also want to add that I have been on both sides of the fence, in the sense that before I became one unwell myself, I was the family member of a severely chronically ill sister. So I understand that it is hard to make sense of what someone is going through when they look fine, or they say they can do one thing but not another. I know how easy it is to question the severity of what they're going through when they're doing their best to be as normal as possible. I also understand the compassion fatigue that comes when you're living with this on a daily basis. Now that I'm on the other side of the fence as a chronically ill sufferer myself, I actually know what my sister means now when she describes certain things, such as the difference between normal fatigue and disabling fatigue, which is very different. I tried it to understand and be sympathetic and compassionate before, but now there is a new level of understanding, as I experience some of these things myself. Since I hope that you never experience chronic illness yourself where you'll gain that understanding personally, my goal with this article, and the next which will be on things to say and do that will encourage a sufferer, is to help you be aware of how things can come across so that relationships can stay intact and even be deepened. So here are six categories of things that are best not to say or do to your suffering friend or loved one, and why. 1. Don't say things that indicate that the illness is not serious or long-term, or where you're comparing us to others or yourself. For example, are you better yet? Or, haven't the doctors figured it out yet? Although it's likely to be well-meant, these quotes and others like it are hard to respond to when you're the one who's sick. Chronic illness means it's long-term. We are highly unlikely to get better in the sense of being fully healthy again and enjoying life the same way you do or you would expect someone of our age to be able to do. We also come up against doctors who can be generally unhelpful or can run out of ideas after the initial tests come back negative. Some doctors give up at that point and the sufferer has to live with inconclusive reasons as to why they're unwell. Good doctors will continue investigating until they get some answers, but this can take time, especially for the more rare or complicated cases. Even when they find answers, however, there is often no cure, just the option of managing the symptoms. As for medications we take, they may be helping some aspects of our illness, but is unlikely to be helping every area. Plus, there are the side effects to deal with, so some choose not to take medicine. That doesn't mean they're not serious about wanting to be well, or that they aren't as unwell as they claim to be, or as someone who does take medication. Some people, especially with certain conditions, can be intolerant to lots of medicines and react badly. If a person says they're taking supplements to help their condition, again that doesn't mean that their condition isn't serious, but that they've chosen more natural or alternative methods for managing their symptoms. Often, these supplements aren't just the regular vitamins and minerals, but specific supplements to target the problem areas. Whether a person takes medication, supplements, or nothing at all, it is that person's decision and we shouldn't judge one method as being better as another. As a society, we like quick fixes and don't know how to handle longer-term problems, so be careful with phrases like the ones above because it can cause a variety of emotions in the sick person, such as feeling such as a feeling of being disbelieved, belittled, judged, or unaccepted. Quote, but you look fine. 
This is something people with invisible illnesses hear often, that we look okay, or we're too young, etc. The reality is, illness can strike at any age, and many serious illnesses are not visible. In fact, I would say that probably more people struggle with invisible illnesses than visible ones, but that's just my opinion. I don't know if it's fact or not. It's easy to see someone's disabled or unwell if they're in a wheelchair, have a missing limb, they've lost their hair, or something like that. However, if, for example, someone's brain, heart, lungs, or digestive system aren't functioning as well as they should be, it can cause all sorts of internal problems that affect a person's quality of life and abilities. You can't see it because we look fine on the outside, but the daily struggle is there. One of the things we associate with someone looking ill is to look pale. One of the key reasons a person looks pale when ill is because white blood cells are trying to fight an acute infection. While there are other reasons as well, any ongoing condition where these factors do not play a part, the sufferer is unlikely to have that pale or sick look. So again, this statement can come across like you don't believe us. Another misconception is associating happiness with being healthy. If someone is happy, laughing, and enjoying life, that doesn't mean that their illness is not real and very difficult. But who wants to be miserable all the time? When the flu hits, often there's a sense of feeling miserable, and that's okay because it's only for a short time. Since a chronic illness often lasts a lifetime, it would be unrealistic to expect a sufferer to be or look miserable all the time. After all, they say laughter is good medicine. Rather than dismissing or not believing them, Rejoice in their positive and overcoming attitude. Quote, Oh, I get that too. Or, I know what you mean. As much as the intention may be to sympathize and encourage, this actually does the opposite, as it minimizes the degree and or frequency to which the sufferer experiences these things. For example, we understand that other people get tired too. However, there are different types of fatigue. Some are so disabling that you can barely move, lift up a pen, or stay awake while talking to someone. Browsing Facebook or Pinterest is not an option. You can barely keep your eyes open or focus. And forget about reading emails or articles. You're just not going to take it in. It's not the same as feeling exhausted from a long day at work, being kept awake at night by babies, or other common and legitimate reasons for fatigue. It's not something that is triggered by overexertion, and catching up on rest will be the remedy as it would be for a healthy person. Disabling fatigue almost needs to be considered as a separate thing entirely from the kind of fatigue a healthy person experiences. Here's a quote from someone on this subject. Some people with POTS experience crippling fatigue and we really are tired beyond anything we ever experienced when we worked two jobs and went to school, even though now we don't work at all. So you don't have to go to work or go to school or do anything sometimes to be so totally and completely exhausted that you can't function. End quote. Two, you also want to be very careful about giving unsolicited advice or making judgments on the sufferer or their illness. I think that as a general rule, it would be a good idea to stay away from giving advice on a person's health unless they ask you for it. The reason is because it can come across like you know more about the specifics of the condition and what we're going through than we do or our doctors do. And believe me, we research a lot about our illness so that we know the majority of options we have to improve our situation. 
It's not as simple as changing what we eat, exercising more, getting more or less sleep, having a bubble bath, etc. Nor is it necessarily the case that something that helped you or someone you know with a completely different condition would help us. A lot of us will have tried these things and many others already. The problem with receiving advice from lots of people is that it may be the first time for you to advise us, but it's probably not the first time we've heard the suggestion, and we have to explain why it doesn't work, or it doesn't apply, or it's not as simple as that, over and over again. This can be discouraging, and depending on the advice, can be judgmental, such as the comments to lose weight, and then we'd feel better. Some of us are slim and look fit, and we suffer just as much as, if not more, than some of those with more weight. Also, on the subject of weight, it's worth mentioning that some medicines cause weight gain, and it's not a person's bad eating and exercise habits that make them overweight. One person I know is very large and gained her weight when she stopped tolerating food due to the drug she was put on. Carrying the extra weight in today's culture is hard enough without being judged for it. Another thing that can be frustrating and discouraging in faith circles is hearing things like, it's because of sin in your life, or God wants to heal you, go to such and such a person and do this or that. These comments are unhelpful at best. Some illnesses are a result of sin, but not all. Remember the blind beggar whose purpose in his blindness was to bring glory to God? John 9, 1-3. And while God doesn't enjoy the suffering of his people, he uses it to produce in us the character he desires for us to be more like him. Suffering looks different for each person, and for some that will mean chronic illness. For others, it may be relationship difficulties, financial challenges, and many other things. So, here are some quotes from discouraged sufferers. Do not try to diagnose and treat us. We just need support. Do not suggest I change how I eat. Do not tell me to suck it up or exercise more saying, if you only lost weight, telling me to get off all my meds and I'll be fine, do not tell me I need to sleep more or to sleep less, saying that if I pray harder or have more faith, it will go away, telling me it's all in your head or it's just anxiety, you need to get outside more, it's nice out, it'll make you feel better, it will be okay. Again, for that last quote, it will be okay. The encouragement that the person saying it may mean to communicate can actually discourage a sufferer when their lives are a daily struggle and there is no end in sight due to the chronic nature of the illness. At that point, they're probably thinking that I'm going to keep persevering because I have to, but this isn't okay, and you saying it will be okay doesn't make it so. The key to this section is unsolicited advice. If you're desperate to share something you think might help, maybe share it with a person's loved one if they're present. They'll have a better idea of whether it's something worth looking into, or if it's something they've heard before and are not interested. It's not that we think we know all our options, and have tried it all. We know there are probably great options out there, but it really does need to be shared with sensitivity, and an acknowledgement that your advice may not be the solution. Imagine how you would feel if you had 50 people come to you with the same suggestion of something that you know doesn't work in your situation, and having to respond to each one as if they're the only one that's made that suggestion. It gets tiring, discouraging, and even frustrating at times. 3. The other thing to be careful of is not making assumptions. Here are some quotes regarding assumptions. You don't look disabled. 
You look great. You must be feeling better. Um, actually, I feel completely horrible, but I'm extremely good at hiding how I'm actually feeling. You sound great, over the phone. Well, gosh, then I must be fine. The problem with these statements is that you're making an assumption based on what you see or hear without taking into account what you can't see. I do get it that seeing what seems like a healthy person using a handicapped spot can seem like they're faking it. I've thought that myself in the past. However, you don't know what's going on inside their body that means they need to minimize walking distance. Here's a quote from someone about handicap badges. Seriously, people do not understand that handicap placards aren't just handed out. A doctor, or the council in the UK, has to believe that someone actually needs it. And, usually a person waits way past when they actually start to need one, to get one, because they are afraid of being treated like fakers. And then there's a need to use the handicapped bathroom. A perfectly healthy looking person may have Crohn's disease, for example, and have a catheter bag that needs emptying, which is easier to sort out in the disabled loose, for example. And if there's a long queue, which can often happen for the ladies' facilities, standing in the queue can cause someone with POTS to faint. And sometimes fainting can cause loss of bladder control, so that's clearly not a good combination. So please resist the urge to judge just based on what you see. Most people with invisible illnesses want to appear as normal as possible and hate being considered fakers, so they'll only take advantage of the handicap privileges if it's necessary. Also, as mentioned before, even though we may be feeling awful on the inside, we can look fine on the outside. Just because we look good or sound great doesn't mean we feel good. As one person mentioned, we can get pretty good at hiding how bad we're feeling in order to participate in normal life as much as possible and to avoid being thought of as complainers. Also, just because we may make the most of having a good day and fitting in all that we can do, it doesn't mean that we don't have the bad days. We want to make the most of our good days without feeling like we're thought of as fakers. 4. Don't be critical, judgmental or discouraging. Here is a quote from one girl whose cry is similar to many others. In my experience I find that the longer you're ill, the less compassionate people become. This is disheartening to see because the longer you're sick, the more difficult it becomes to cope with the continual losses you experience. This is at least how I feel having to miss out on high school, college, and now work and independent life experiences. This is a time in my life where I need support and encouragement the most. Unfortunately, I have had very opposite encounters with friends and family. Recently, I've been told such things as, you cry too much. There are others going through way worse situations than you. Life is hard for everyone. I would do a much better job coping with this than you. You don't try to get better. And the list goes on. The physical and subsequently emotional hardship of a chronic illness is enough, sometimes too much to bear. Making comments such as those only add to my heavy load. One must ask, how much can a girl take? Compassion fatigue or burnout will eventually happen as we only have limited resources. So be aware of this, and if you feel this applies to you, be honest about it and try not to let the sufferer pay for your tiredness, etc. This is a time to be even more careful about what you say. It's not the sufferer's fault that their need continues. 
A couple of ways to prevent burnout or compassion fatigue when chronic illness is present is to share the load with others as much as possible. I'll give more examples in the next article, but if there is a spouse, as primary carer, along with two or three friends, you can help one another as you help the sufferer. For example, friend one can come hang out with the sufferer one evening so that the husband can spend time with his buddies. This friend is not only an encouragement and help to the sufferer, but also the spouse who needs time out too. Friend two could come over and help with some of the housework. Friend three could help with outdoor chores, such as getting groceries. Those friends can take turns helping with different things that need to be done and just hanging out so that not one friend feels burdened with too much and gets to the point of compassion fatigue. Here are some other quotes. Guilt trips for doctors' visits and trips. Saying, you're being overdramatic. Telling me it's all in your head. A lot of sufferers already feel bad, guilty, burdened, about how their illness is affecting those around them, especially those in their immediate family. Having to travel for doctor visits, costs of expensive treatments, or not being able to bear the load at home, meaning more work falls to the spouse who's working really hard while we stay at home, is really hard to accept. Do we feel bad already? Yes. We don't need more guilt-loading or criticism about those things we can't do. Most, if not all, would love to do the housework if it's a choice between a normal life and being sick all the time. Here's another quote. How are you? Do you really care and want to know, or are you just being polite? Because how are you is basically a part of our formal greetings, and yet most people aren't interested in really knowing, make sure you follow up by making sure we know you really do want to know how we're doing. Otherwise, we're likely to say, okay, because it doesn't seem appropriate to say that we feel like trash or we're having a really hard time at the moment, etc. Answering okay doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually okay or feeling better now. Here are more quotes. How can you be tired when you haven't done anything? Why are you in a wheelchair? Your legs work. Why haven't you done this or that yet? Fatigue is a big issue for many chronically ill sufferers because of how taxed the body is just trying to function normally or at the level in which it can manage as well as for many other physical reasons. Imagine being as tired as you've ever been and try to function like that day in, day out. This kind of fatigue is not dependent on how much you do or don't do, or how much sleep you get or don't get. So be careful not to compare your fatigue with that of someone suffering a chronic illness. It really is different, and unless you experience it, it really is hard to understand. Maybe the closest way to relate to this kind of fatigue, as well as aches, pains, nausea and other symptoms that often accompany the fatigue is when you feel unwell with flu or something similar and it's all you can do to drag yourself out of bed to get to the bathroom. Housework, cooking, working and maybe even browsing Facebook or Pinterest etc are far from your capabilities at that point. However, instead of lasting a couple of days it's a regular occurrence for some sufferers and they have to learn to function at that level as best they can. Some adapt or hide what they're going through so well that you'd never know the degree to which they suffer on a daily basis. They should be admired for their strength and fighting spirit. Another thing to consider as well is that for those whose chronic conditions affect quality of life, the recommendation by medical professionals is to implement pacing. 
This means that the sufferer should pace their day or week so as not to overdo it and pay for it later. This is extremely difficult to do with the realities of life, but if your friend says they can do one thing but not another, and you can't understand why, they may be pacing themselves. This could look like doing an activity in a wheelchair, so as to preserve as much energy as possible, and not use it all up standing or walking when that can be so draining. A very popular way to look at this is what is called spoon theory. It's a great article for how a chronically ill person needs to evaluate what they can do during the day and how they can maximize their energy. So, while your friend might not look like they need a wheelchair, that wheelchair could enable them to do more than they would have done otherwise or prevent them from crashing so hard and paying for the activity later. Also, along these lines, activities often require a number of physical and cognitive processes and any of these can be compromised at any time. For example, it may be possible for someone to go out to church or another activity, but not have the cognitive function to write an email. Again, be very careful about making judgments on what a person says they can or can't do. Quote, You're lucky. I wish I didn't have to work. We worked hard to get our degrees and now we can't use them. I wish I could work. Most of us would love to use the degrees that we worked hard to get or wanted to get but never felt well enough to do so. Or enjoy the hobbies that we once could do, including just hanging out with friends. Not being able to function and, quote, resting all day is not all it may seem. We would gladly trade places. Well, actually, we wouldn't wish this on you, but we would love to be able to do normal things without it being so physically, mentally, and emotionally impossible. Quote, But I thought you said you were better. One thing that may be more specific with POTS or dysautonomia than with other illnesses is the variability of how well we are from one minute to the next. We're not messing around if we said five minutes ago that we're doing okay and suddenly we're starting to feel bad and need to lie down or stop what we're doing. The longer we're upright, the more unwell we're likely to feel. If we've been lying down for a bit or sitting and chatting with friends and feeling fine, it doesn't mean that we're faking feeling bad if we get up to make dinner and 10 minutes into preparing it, we feel like we need to lie down before passing out. Imagine your blood pulling to your feet and leaving your head. You'll feel exhausted, weak, and you may get to the point of passing out. Since we never know when this will happen, even though we know it may occur at times when we're on our feet more, like when cooking meals, at church, standing in line at the store, etc., Please be flexible regarding whether we're well or not. It's terribly frustrating for the sufferer not to know how well they'll be from one minute to the next, let alone you. So patience and understanding is needed all round. And finally, the last of the quotes in this section, at least it's not cancer. As much as it may be hard to understand, sometimes having something like cancer can seem like a better deal. I know this may sound outrageous given the reputation of cancer. However, cancer is recognized and understood as serious. Often it can be treated and people can go into remission and live normally again, although admittedly the treatment options aren't often that pleasant. Friends and family recognize its seriousness and are more willing to provide help and support for however long is needed until the person feels better or dies. I want to be clear that there is no way I'd want to minimize cancer, its destruction and heartbreak, 
It's affected my own family, so I do understand. However, a chronic illness that people don't understand and often dismiss the seriousness of its effects on quality of life, along with knowing that it's lifelong with only the option of managing symptoms and not curing the problem, can be really disheartening. I personally think it's best not to compare illnesses with cancer, but to see the importance of recognizing that there are illnesses that people suffer with for decades without much relief or quality of life, and these people should not be left on the sidelines because it's, quote, not cancer. The following are some thoughts to add. Five, for spouses specifically. Although wives of unwell men may need to take this into account as well, what I'm about to say is probably more applicable to husbands who have wives that are unwell as men tend to want to fix things and move on. The problem with a chronic illness is that it can't just be fixed. It's important to recognize that if you can't fix something, or you can't help make something better in a practical sense, it doesn't mean you're a failure or you have nothing to offer. In fact, you have a great deal to offer. I'm not going to repeat the quotes that I gathered from my research due to privacy of intimate details, However, there are wives who struggle with the idea that their husbands love them or care for them. For example, a few people said that their husbands have withdrawn from them physically and sexually, and even when the wife pursued her husband, she would be rejected or they'd fight. One woman said that none of us deserve to feel untouchable. Another woman described her husband leaving the room while she was having a really hard time physically, almost unresponsive and not seeming to care about his indifference towards her suffering when asked later why he walked out the room. He said that she didn't die, so she's okay. I realize that it can be hard to deal with the physical symptoms, and probably even harder to deal with the accompanying emotional ups and downs as many women experience huge fluctuations in their emotions due to the physical responses they're dealing with. Also, those with dysautonomia, a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system, deal with a heightened fight-or-flight response and are not able to cope well with stress. The same would be true of Addison's disease, which affects the adrenal glands, and other illnesses as well. However, these physical factors are often compounded by difficulties with relationships and lack of understanding and compassion from those closest to them. It's worth noting that women are very quick to pick up on things you might consider throwaway comments or looks. We can sense the resentment you may feel at doing something you think we should be doing, or resenting the fact that we stay at home all day and don't contribute to the family income, for example. This can make us feel even worse because it's not like we can suddenly make ourselves better in order to improve the relationship or situation. It's also important to resist spending more time at work or with your friends and doing things apart from your wife. While it is important to have some buddy time, Make sure your wife knows that she is your priority, and don't be afraid to share with her your own needs. While the sufferer has more physical needs, it doesn't diminish the fact that you also have needs, and we want to be a part of your life and to help where we can. Since each woman is different, the best thing you can do as a husband to love your wife and help her is to ask her what you can do. You may not be able to fix it, but for some women, just holding her hand or giving her a hug and saying some encouraging words like, I wish I could do more, but know that I love you and I'm here for you, would make a world of difference. For others, coming home with flowers or a box of chocolates on occasion would really cheer them up. Others would really appreciate a helping hand. 
Does the bathroom desperately need a clean? Then maybe you could take care of that and help her out with that chore. In fact, when it comes to housework, it can be quite a challenge to keep up with it when you're really unwell. With POTS, you can have a hard time not fainting when in certain positions, and for those with EDS, arthritis, fibromyalgia, ME, or other pain-related illnesses, certain chores can be very painful. So if things aren't getting done around the house like you think they should be, then maybe you could help your wife out. And if you're too tired yourself after long days at work, or you're just not inclined to do it, maybe you could hire a cleaner to come in and tackle the jobs that are hardest for your wife to accomplish. This would be a huge blessing to her and show that you care. Living with chronic illness is a huge lifestyle adjustment for both the sufferer and those living with them. No one says it's easy, but that's why it's so important that you work together and learn how to support one another. One of the big wedges that can divide any marriage is unmet expectations, and this comes in bucket loads when chronic illness is thrown into the mix, and especially if it's while a couple is still young. This is why it's important to remember your vows, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Both partners need to make a lot of adjustments in their lifestyle and expectations of themselves and one another, but working together with what you can do, rather than fighting against it or bemoaning what you've lost, you can have a richer life as a result. Apply the song mantra, always look on the bright side of life. It's easy to focus on the negatives when you're under pressure or feel unwell, so knowing this is part of life, it's best to start changing your perspective and looking for the positives. This will not only help your moods and relationships, but laughter is thought to be good medicine. Another thing that is really beneficial is biblical counseling. You can find good qualified counselors on the ACBC website. Getting counseling does not mean you failed. In fact, it means that you're strong enough and determined enough to fight for the best in your relationship. I personally would recommend biblical counseling and discipleship for any couple, but I think it's especially helpful to aid in supporting through the additional challenges, frustrations, and disappointments that come with chronic illness. Finally, a word to any medical professionals listening. This is number six for doctors specifically. As I understand it, in medical school there is a saying that if you hear the sound of hoofbeats, you should look for a horse, not a zebra. The reasoning being that most people will have a common condition and that you shouldn't waste time or money looking for the rarer illnesses with most of your patients. The problem is that many doctors tend to ignore the fact that zebras still exist. Therefore, can I encourage you not to give up on your patients if they come back with test results that seem to be normal, while the patient continues to complain of suffering? If your patient is not a horse, it probably means they're a zebra and they need deeper investigation not being labelled as a hypochondriac, just anxious or depressed, or have some kind of fatigue syndrome, or there's nothing wrong with you. While we do recognise there are limits to medicine, we also know when we feel like you've given up on us, and you're just not interested in figuring it out anymore, since we didn't fit in the normal boxes like most people. It's also important to recognise that there can be multiple factors that come into play for one patient, for example, a POTS diagnosis is likely to indicate that there is something else going on. Maybe Lyme disease, lupus, EDS, or something of that sort. So, if a patient comes wanting more tests done after a diagnosis like POTS, and those tests would be related in some way, then be open to getting those tests done. In fact, even better would be for you to suggest getting those tests done. 
If something else is also at play, then it's important to know that as you decide how best to treat and manage symptoms. As one person said, quote, Doctors need to understand that we aren't looking for multiple diagnoses just for the sake of it. We want to know what we're dealing with so we can treat or manage it as best we can. Not knowing whether we might have something or not doesn't help us. End quote. Also, as GPs, we don't expect you to know everything about every single illness, especially the rare zebra ones. Therefore, you would actually be a huge encouragement to us if you take the time to research and understand what it is really about. Having a doctor we feel is on our side and wants to help us can also make a huge difference in our ability to manage what can be a very debilitating illness. A doctor that listens and takes our experience of the illness and our own bodies seriously can make a real difference even when there's no medical treatment that can be offered. Sadly, doctors like this are harder and harder to find. This finishes up this article focusing on things not to say and do when interacting with a sufferer of an invisible chronic illness. The thing to remember is to be careful with your words. It's so easy not to think about what we say and how that affects someone else. Hopefully this article will help with that. Also, as you see people out and about, maybe parked in handicapped spaces or using disabled toilets or whatever it may be, don't assume that they are fakers if they look fine to you. The majority of people will not be fakers, and it's important we respect the challenges that others are going through, rather than passing judgement without knowledge, and increasing the discouragements that they may be facing. Also, be thankful for what you have. It's so easy to take for granted health, relationships, hobbies, jobs, etc., until they're taken away. So be thankful for those blessings, even if they don't always seem like a blessing. And be compassionate to those for whom many of those things are taken away or are a huge challenge. Finally, I want to reiterate what I said near the beginning of this article. While all of these comments mentioned can be discouraging, please don't think it's too hard to say the right thing and withdraw from us instead. Most of us would rather you say the wrong thing from a position of genuinely caring than we're afraid to talk to us. And don't forget to check out the article coming up next on the positive side of this subject things that would be great to say and do to a chronically ill sufferer. You have been listening to the Discover Demelza podcast. If you found today's episode helpful, please go to the website at discoverdemelza.com to find the podcast notes with links relevant to today's topic. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Have a great week.